0: We all owe them, but very few of us know them.
1: They are the men and women of our military and first responder communities. And these are their stories. American Warrior Radio is on the air. Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to American Warrior Radio. This is your host, Ben Bueller Garcia. We're broadcasting from the Four Patriots Studio at Four Patriots. They promote freedom and self-reliance. Everything from tools to usher your family through a natural or man-made disaster to equipment to make your next camping experience more enjoyable. A portion of their proceeds from their sales are donated back to military charities. Use the code Warrior for ten percent off your first order. That's FourPatriots.com. The number FourPatriots.com. In 1962, President John F. Kennedy signed a proclamation designating May 15th as Peace Officers Memorial Day. During this year's Police Week, it's estimated that tens of thousands of officers from all across the country will converge on Washington, D.C. to recognize the sacrifices and valor of those who wear the badge. Most of us civilians don't really think about law enforcement unless we see one in our rearview mirror. Now, they're protecting us whether we think about it or not. When they raised their hand to take the oath, they were writing a blank check to our communities, payable up to and including their own blood. Most recently, our nation has seen several examples of police officers who immediately ran toward the sound of gunfire and mitigated the potential damage of mass casualty events. It's precisely this type of daily valor and sacrifice that National Police Week is intended to recognize, and by way of that, inform all of us out there in the civilian world about the important role these men and women play in keeping our communities safe and resilient. Today, we're going to examine Police Week through two different lenses, a law enforcement spouse whose husband gave the ultimate sacrifice, and a Navy veteran and a national recording artist who's become one of the most staunch and visible national advocates for our men and women in law enforcement. Joining us in the studio, Noemi Haidt, founder and CEO of the Eric Haidt Foundation. Noemi, welcome to American Warrior Radio.
0: Thank you, Ben, for having me.
1: Your first time. It is. Outstanding. <laughs> On the phone, we have Dave Bray, USA, also known as the Rock and Roll Patriot. Dave, welcome back to American Warrior Radio. Thanks for
2: having me. I appreciate it, and uh, hello to you, Naomi.
1: Dave, I I just saw you perform, I think it was last week, uh, very impressive. You often refer to your performances as music on a mission. Could you expound upon that idea for our listeners?
2: Sure, man. You know, when I left the military, I got into music, but really found no purpose behind what I was doing for a while until I really got into digging down into sort of what my calling was, and I wanted to do something a little bit more meaningful. I felt like just singing songs about rocking and rolling and and those types of things. It was good, it was fun, but I wanted to actually sing music that would help heal people, like music has helped heal me. And it was one of the most daunting moments, I guess you could say, after hearing the last call of a of a law enforcement officer when someone sent it to me in an email. I was I was struck. Uh, I didn't know what a last call was. I didn't know how law enforcement did it. In the military, I served as an FMF corpsman. And in the military, if we lose a soldier or sailor, um, we we do a roll call where they muster the troops and then they call the group's name and, until they get to the fallen. And of course, they do not answer. But law enforcement does it over the air. And the last call that I heard for the first time, the dispatcher's voice, you could tell, was broken, and she was emotional when she was reading these badge number. And that badge number happened to be a former marine. Brad Fox, who was uh, local to Pennsylvania who was ambushed and killed. And so when the dispatcher mentions that number, she mentions it three times. And of course, there's dead airspace after each time. And then after the third time, she reads the memorial of that fallen officer. And I was I was truly shook. I was, I was emotional. I didn't know what to do with myself. I picked up a guitar. I picked up a pen. I picked up a piece of paper. And I penned the uh, song, Last Call. And I realized kind of from that moment on that the music that I was doing and, and the songs that I wanted to sing were going to be ones that would help families have fallen and help, you know, American people understand that we have hope and, and faith in, in this country and, and in God to move on, stick together, keep this country together. We'll be all right.
1: Dave, I don't know. I, I think I told you this after your performance. I don't know how you do it. I mean, I'm in the back of the room when you, you sang Last Call, and I'm getting choked up. Uh, I'm not on the microphone and guitar scene. Uh, Noemi, I'm, I'm guessing that a lot of what Dave brought up there sounds sort of painfully familiar to you. Noemi Hite, your husband led a life of service. He started off in the Air Force, and then he became a law enforcement officer. And I've even read where people described him as a cop's cop. If you don't mind, tell us about that that fateful day about uh, June 2nd, 2008.
0: Yeah. Dave, thank you so much for your service to our country. Yeah, Eric was 21 years serving our country in the Air Force, After 21 years, we decided to stay in Tucson and he applied to become a police officer. He was a security forces. His whole entire life has been in law enforcement. Uh, When he was hired by Tucson Police Department, he was only with the department for four and a half years. When that call came in, he had just left our house for a very quick cup of fresh coffee that I had made. Texted him and said, "Hey, there's fresh coffee on the pot." He came, gave a hug and a kiss to our one-year, almost one-year-old child, and he left. I know that he went straight to that call because less than an hour. I, you know, it's it's been it's gonna be be 15 years this June, and my. Brain doesn't remember all those details, you know. It's part of how your brain protects you from so much pain. But I want to say it was about an hour later that I got the knock on the door. Um, I was giving my my daughter a shower before we went to church that Sunday. It was a Sunday morning, so I I I think he went straight to the call. He heard all the tone and sound on the radio. Um, he left, and um, it was a pursuit. It started on the northwest side of town here in Pima County, and where Sheriff department was uh, in charge of that pursuit. Once it crossed to the city limits, it went to some police. Took that pursuit, but it was on the east side of our town where we lived and heard that, that call. Went straight to that call from our house. He took the lead on that call. The suspect was turning on a corner and ambushed him. Mm-hmm. Whoever was coming around that corner first was going to take the shot. Was told that there were several shots in his vehicle and only one. one struck him.
1: Naomi, thank you for sharing that. That takes a lot of courage, and but that's precisely the kind of message that I want listeners to hear about this. That on a daily basis, um, I often joke that you know, I'm a, in my day job, I'm a lobbyist. And a public hearing or a rezoning or a new ordinance can get kind of sporty down there, you know, at the mayor and council or or at the legislature. But my wife doesn't kiss me goodbye in the morning and worry about me not coming home. Uh, But for the families of law enforcement, I'm guessing it's not something you want to think about on a regular basis, but it's always got to be in the back of your mind.
0: It is. It is. We always say goodbye and we say be safe, you know, hoping and knowing that they are going to be as safe as they can. But they did. They signed up to save us and protect us and save lives, and that's what he did that day.
1: Dave, I'm guessing this is not the first time you've heard that kind of emotion and that kind of a story.
2: No, Amy, um, deepest condolences out to you and your family for your loss. And no, it's unfortunately not the first time I've heard those stories, and it's all too familiar uh, with what we have going on with the war on police in America today. Uh, the war with our border patrol; these guys are fighting every single day. We mm-hmm. don't have to look much past our our local towns to find the trouble and and the, I guess, anti-American sentiment that's on the horizon from the people within this country. And it's uh it's it's strange that our founding fathers wrote about it in our documents. Um, and again in in the oath that we swear. Uh, you no know, one ever thinks that the people who are taking advantage and living in the boat would try to burn the bus- vessel down in the middle of the sea, but that feels like where we are today in America.
1: That's a good way to put it, Dave. Uh, Dave, know me, I've got to take a short break here to pay for the show. When we come back, I want to follow up on those thoughts. and. And talk a little bit about, as I understand, both of you have been to National Police Week in Washington. I want to get your feedback on that and just any other messages that the listeners of American Warrior need to hear out there. Don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, over 500 podcasts at com. We'll be right back. Welcome back to American Warrior Radio, ladies and gentlemen. This is your host, Ben Bueller Garcia. We're talking National Police Week. In studio, we've got Noemi Height, who's a a law enforcement widow. And then on the phone, we've got Dave Bray, USA. Dave is the the rock and roll patriot and one of the most forward-leaning advocates for the men and women of our law enforcement, first responder communities, and also uh, veterans out there as well. So I want to share a story with both of you that I know was a real formative moment. Kind of an aha moment in my life. I was calling upon a, a city council member in his office, and as I approach the office, I see a, a sheriff's deputy on his his motorized unit sitting out under the tree in front of the, the council office. I walk in, I, I approach the receptionist to announce that I was there and I was ready for my appointment, and I just happen to mention, you know, kind of a aha! It's like, well, there's a a deputy sitting out there on a on a motorcycle. And her face just went completely white, and she started to tremble. And um, I didn't realize at the time, but her husband was a sheriff's deputy, and she thought that that officer was there to make a notification. Thankfully, it just turned out he was just getting out of the sun and, Mm. and getting some shade. But, you know, that unexpected moment, Dave, you, I noticed when you, after your performance, you spent a great deal of time there talking with, with your guests, with the folks that were there and I'm I'm betting that some of those were law enforcement or former law enforcement. And what what kind of feedback do you get? Because you're doing these shows all across the country, a lot of them for police organizations, for fundraisers or, or memorials. What what kind of feedback do you get and does that does that support you, lift you up, Dave, and motivate you even more?
2: I had to break, you know, Noemi made a made a remark while we were off the air about, you know, U.S. had said, it doesn't get any easier telling that story. And she says, no, I usually send them, hey, you want to find out the story? Go read about Eric. And, you know, I'm, I'm a believer that it takes a village and not just to raise children, but to keep us as a country and us as a people and the good people of God's creatures in, in the good grace, we have to help each other carry, you know, the burdens and the weight. And that includes being not only brave enough to share your testimony and share Eric's story but to be brave enough to listen and not just hear but listen truly with your heart and try to emotionally capture some of the weight off of the shoulders of these men and women who have lost their co-workers, who have lost their families, who have lost their friends. And it's been one of those things that has been very difficult for me. I've many nights brought myself to the Lord asking not to have to carry that extra weight. I have, you know, I'm trying to raise a family and my own kids and You know, and then you hear these stories of, you know, these these kids who have no fathers or mothers or these parents who have lost their sons or their daughters. And it's, for me, I, I, you know, when I'm on the road, I try to dedicate as much time to those people telling those stories because I understand the the value and importance of what's happening in that moment. I've brought them to be able to, for some of them, to be able to speak about those moments for the first time in their lives. And the follow-up to the song's Last Call which was about a fallen officer giving his last words back to his wife and his kids and his brothers and sisters in blue. The follow-up to Last Call was a song that was called Survivor. and It was put on my heart to write that song by a, a Blue Royal family, a family that had lost their dad. And she had said that, you know, we never got the, the last words of their father. We never heard those words. You gave those words to us. And for me to be able to give that to them is unbelievable for them to have a cathartic connection with those words and to understand that you know maybe I was speaking in some way through a higher power to them and then they said we would love if you would write a song from us to them and so again upon my heart comes this song called Survivor and that's what we call those who have lost a you know a family member in the line of duty or, or otherwise we call them survivors and. Again, in Police Week, it's, it's all about them. It's all about rallying and supporting those family members who could have to maintain with nothing more than the memories and the pictures. And, of course, once again, the thing that's most important is the story of their lives and remembering their names and speaking their names and telling those stories to help carry the weight. And, uh, again, if, if you want to know what Music on a Mission is about, they can find out at uh, Dave Murray USA or just go watch the videos. Um, but that's what, that's what this mission is about for me. It's a continuation of my service and it's, it's hopefully doing what I believe I was called to do, you know, by God and, and hopefully helping some people along the way find that same calling for themselves.
1: I'll confess Dave that, uh, I didn't quite do my homework as well as I should. And I just found out today that Noemi had not heard the song last call yet. So, um, I'll, I'll send her the link and make sure she listens to that because it is such a, a powerful song. I tell you, I, I, every Memorial Day, I'd listen to Angel Flight by Rodney Foster, uh, which, if you haven't heard, is just a, a very powerful song as well. And then every every year during Police Week, I put in my, my Music on the Mission DVD and listen to last call, because so I think that really encapsulates what these families, um, the burden they, they bear all year long. Now, Amy, you mentioned it's been 15 years. Part of your... Catharsis, I wonder, was that forming the, the Eric Ericite Foundation? Was that your response?
0: Yeah, um, that was in 2009, the year after I lost Eric. That was my way of coping with my grief. And, and one of the reasons I actually had my team at the Eric Hyde Foundation table at the event which, where Dave was last last week and my team came on um, Friday telling me about the song. I choose not to listen to it. I heard about it and how powerful it is, Dave. And and I thank you for being that voice of us that don't have the talent to write a song about our feelings. But um, um, it's painful. Time doesn't really heal. Time just helps you learn with your new normal. And um. Last week was a, a lot of memorials in town and at the state. And it's, it's every May that we go through all of this. So um, it's, again, you know, all those emotions come back every year. Uh, for me, May, the first week in May is rough. And then the first week in June is rough, where it's his anniversary. So for the Erika Foundation was, from, for me, was uh, a way to cope with all the pain and to, to protect all that service, life that Eric had given to our country and our community. And that's what we wanted to, to do with the foundation.
1: You know, first so often when I talk with, with military families, Gold Star families, you know, for those Gold Star families, Memorial Day is every day. Mm-hmm. And for families like yours, Naomi, I mean, that Police Week, that that is a, a 365 day a year issue and i, I tell you I, in talking to you both here today i find it interesting that each of you in your own way is now helping the families of other survivors or survivors of lost uh law enforcement officers and in your own way helping them find their voice and, and kind of find their footing again and uh it's interesting to me that you two have never met but maybe uh maybe something will develop out of this
0: yeah absolutely i would love to meet dave um in person and um invite him to one of our events absolutely.
2: You know, Noemi I, I would love to come out and help support if there's any way um, you know, we can facilitate that Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen
1: we'll be uh, talking more about Police Week itself. Don't forget you can learn more visit DaveBrayUSA.com or the EricHeightFoundation.org That's Eric with a K This is your host Ben buehler Garcia. We'll be right back Welcome back to American Warrior Radio, ladies and gentlemen. This is your host, Ben Viewer garcia We're broadcasting from the 4 Patriots studio at 4 Patriots. They champion freedom and self-reliance, and they give your family the tools to do so. Visit 4 That's the number, fourpatriots.com. And don't forget to use the code WARRIOR for a 10% discount on your first order. We're talking about National Police Week. We've got two great guests here. Uh, we've got Noemi Height in studio. She is a law enforcement widow. And then on the phone, we have Dave Bray, Dave Bray, USA who is a, a Navy veteran and also a very staunch supporter of uh, men and women in blue and our firefighters and also veterans. Let's talk about Police Week itself. I have not had the opportunity to go. I would love to go sometime. Up to 20,000, I've, I've heard, officers from all across the country come together in Washington during this week every every year. No, Amy, how many times have you attended those, those uh, events?
0: I have a, in 15 years I have attended twice.
1: Okay.
0: 2009 when Eric was going to be recognized, my daughter was barely two years old at that time, so I wanted her to experience, you know, older uh, what National Police Week is, and I took her about four years ago when she was 12 years old.
1: And what what sorts of things? I mean, there's lots of memorials. I assume there's also an opportunity for the families to to get together and, and share their experiences and maybe share the healing.
0: Yeah, well, the Conservative of Police Survivors organization do an amazing job to uh, take care of us, the survivors. They help us with training on how to get there, preparing us, what's going to happen. For me in 2009, it was like, honestly, I didn't even want to be there. And it was such a painful uh, reminder that I didn't have Eric anymore. And I needed to be there to honor him like everybody else was doing. I had all my friends, all my family. I had the Tucson Police Department officers, coworkers coming, and we all wanted to honor him. But it was such a painful experience, too. A lot of mixed emotions. I didn't even want to come out of my hotel room. But they do such an amazing job to provide counseling for the spouses for everybody. There's conferences all day long for coworkers for parents, for spouses, for older children, younger, um, young adults. And it's an amazing experience in that regards uh, where you can find a support and you can find the hope, you know, that you're looking for, knowing to feel that there is other people that have experienced this same tragedy. And if you see them facilitating a conference or facilitating a support group, you see those people that have gone through the same pain, and you find hope there. You find hope by seeing so many survivors because they come back over and over. For me, it was the first time. Uh, I'm just grateful for having such a beautiful organization that put such an event.
1: Dave, your role at, at National Police Week, and I don't know how many times you perform there, sir, but it seems like you're a, a regular. And I know you're a veteran, but I use the air quotes here from a civilian perspective, you know, in the context of law enforcement. What is your take on some of these activities and, and uh, what you see and experience there?
2: Well, no, Amy brought up a, a, an amazing organization, COPS, the COPS, Concerns of Police Survivors, that really take on a heavy, heavy role when it comes down to being there as a benevolent support, you know, post-tragedy. I've worked with that organization for years and very near and dear to my heart so i can't say enough about them but i've also worked with the national law enforcement memorial fund um i've also worked with the border patrol who puts on uh the security and does the setup and tear down for the memorial that happens where the president speaks at the capitol so there's just like you said there's, there's so many other organizations that are that are pulling their weight, doing as much as they possibly can for these families and Yes, yeah, so again, I've been a part of many aspects of it, numerous different events that happen throughout uh, the week. The Candlelight Vigil, obviously, is one of the major ones and the memorial at the Capitol. And every year I say to myself, you know, I'm going to hold it together. I'm going to do the best I can. And again, I, I, I don't want to say that I don't want to commit emotionally because that's not what it's it's about, but I inevitably find myself feeling stricken every single year at the amount and the number of law enforcement that we lose each year has been consecutively for the last 13 years been more than, than we've lost in the war on terror. And it's all happening right here in America. And again, it's one of those things that I feel is not recognized anywhere nearly enough for what it is. And these are catastrophic numbers that you find in wartime. And for us as Americans to go through our day-to-day life and, you know, drive past law enforcement or border patrol and not just take a moment to think about the sacrifices that they're making every day and the Mm -hmm. risks that they're taking by putting on that uniform, driving in that car and wearing that badge, it's unprecedented what's happening in this country. And again, I wish that that people would see our law enforcement and our border patrol and, uh, you know, these guys for what they are and the sacrifices that they make. And I don't think enough people know about the numbers. I don't think enough people know about police week or what it is that I want to tell the world about it. And I definitely want a lot of Americans and especially young Americans to appreciate law enforcement and what they do. And I think that this is, this is a great time of year for us to be advocates for that to be a lot more outspoken and, for other news facilities to pick it up and, and take this story, so that our kids can understand what's happening in our nation.
1: Well spoken, Dave, and that's precisely why we do a Police Week show every every year. Because I feel just the same as you, I, I Dave. I learned something new at your performance. I guess you had wanted to be a police officer once upon a
2: time. Growing up, there was a a, a small time. <laughs> <laughs> I was a run around the woods kid as a young kid. We grew up in a very small town. We had one cop. So it was sort of like the neighborhood kids against the one cup. And not that we would terrorize, but we would light off fireworks and, and get him to run a certain direction and try to catch us just to get him to chase us kind of thing when we were little. And by little, I'm talking about, you know, 11, 12 years old. And after a while, we had to, we had a tragedy strike in our town where one of our, I call us, you know, our Goonie squad um, was struck down and, and killed on the way to a baseball practice. And in a small town of three or 400, that is something that, that echoed heavily through you know, my friends, obviously, who were, you know, we were with him and then the entire town because, you know, he played sports with us. He was in scouting with us. He was at our school, you know what I mean? So when we lost Corey, law enforcement came to our house and, and you know, his name was George Yo. He was a 60 plus year old guy. His car had one light on top to say it, <laughs> purposed it for years and years. Going back to when I was a kid, it was after that point I realized the importance of what law enforcement really truly was and you know as again as after serving in the military and seeing law enforcement as kin to what our military does overseas very kindred to what we are seeing over here in america um there was a point in time during my service in the military i I had thought and contemplated that i should probably get into law enforcement i i felt a calling in my heart and still to this day i i haven't given up on that calling i don't know maybe this is how i'm being used by law enforcement right now so you know although I don't wear a badge and a uniform. The part of me is is always on patrol, and uh, you know I think a lot of veterans feel the same way.
1: Well, that perfectly stated. I, t- I tell you, one of my proudest moments, and it's kind of a it's kind of silly. Uh, I was a criminal justice major. I thought I wanted to be a police officer, but I determined about my junior year in college that I didn't have the mental or spiritual fortitude for that. I just don't think I think I would have burned out in a couple of years and would have been a bad. Bad road all the way. So when I had uh, uh, the U.S. Marshal for Arizona on the show, he deputized me for the for the length of the show, for the one hour. And I think he felt safe doing that, because he knew I couldn't leave the studio. But uh, I got to say, I felt like one of those eleven-year-old Goonies at that point in time. Dave, when he he said, "Okay, you know, made me a deputy deputy U.S. Marshal," I thought that was that was pretty cool. Uh, We take a break. I want to come back and want to talk about with both Dave and Noemi about. You know, we talk about the scourge. I, I think Naomi you or Dave might know, but as I understand it, we lose more law enforcement officers to suicide than we do violence on the job. So when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about that uh, secondary PTSD, if you will, and just what they undergo every single day of their careers and what the rest of us as civilians need to understand, that the burden that they're bearing and how those layers of paint tend to build up. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your host, Ben Bueller garcia We're talking with Naomi Height and Dave Bray, USA. We'll be right back in just a few minutes. Welcome back to American Warrior Radio, ladies and gentlemen. This is your host, Ben Bueller garcia We're talking about National Police Week with Noemi Height. She is a police widow and the founder and CEO of the Eric Height Foundation. You can learn more. Visit ericheightfoundation.org. That's Eric with a K. And then joining us on the phone is one of my favorite performers and also patriots, Dave Bray, davebrayusa.com. You can listen to his music and see uh, some of his presentations there. Let's talk a little bit, if you don't mind, about Mental health. We, we recently had an officer on who was featured in the Emmy Award-winning documentary, Crisis Cops. And he was the founder of their mental health unit. And so if you if you watch the documentary, you see their interaction with th- these people out there who are, are really in the middle of a crisis. And the whole point is to try to mitigate the number of people that end up going to the emergency room or, or have a bad engagement with the police or end up in jail when it's really a mental health issue. It's not a, a crime issue. But what was interesting to me, Naomi, is he also talked about the second-order effects of how that was helping his fellow officers, and this is in San Antonio, so a pretty good-sized police department, Mm -hmm. how this was helping his fellow officers deal with their own psychological and emotional issues and actually coming out and seeking help when they need to. I'm curious about that because... Again, a lot of us, we go about our day happy and, and we don't interact with law enforcement or fire on us. We get a ticket or, or, you know, God forbid something more serious happens and we have to call the police. But we don't think about the, the trauma. And I, the example is always used for me is imagine being a firefighter and rolling up on a car accident with infants in the vehicle. Mm-hmm. And you, you just you can't shed that when you go home. And I've, I've met very few people who are able to compartmentalize that and to just not have it impact their lives. Naomi, did you and Eric have a a secret code or some sort of a decompression that you would go to when he had a rough day or did you just not ever talk about it?
0: Well, we did talk about it all the time. Um we did. We we he just looked at me when he came home and gave me that look that I already knew that he had A really, really bad day. Every day was very bad, um, but they were really worse days. And he just gave me that look, and I just completely left him alone. But when it came to calls, like with children, I could see him just absolutely wanted to spend time with our daughter, Mm -hmm. just like that's all he wanted to do, extra attention, extra time. And I just knew that those calls, bad calls had to be with children. So we learn as we go out, you know, workshops or we talk to other wives, we talk to the psychologists at the departments to how to help them to decompress at home and not make it worse for them. But they do. They come home with so much stress that they certainly need that that support from us, from, from the families, but also from from the departments themselves.
1: I agree. And I think we, we've got a long ways to go with some departments around the country as far as that goes. Dave, you mentioned you were a Navy corpsman. I think at one point in time you were assigned to a Marine sniper unit. I'm guessing that you also then therefore saw some trauma.
2: Yeah. I mean, that that's... And, I, and as much as you say that's expected for being, you know, a combat medic, yes. But there's a statistic... With military that that is often just unequivocated by the law enforcement side of, of the house. See, our military when we are deployed, it's usually for six months, nine months, and and again, even while you're deployed, you're on mission maybe a certain amount of days or a certain amount of weeks, and then there's this off time. So law enforcement is a little different. They go out every single day. It's like showing up and working at a factory and every single day you're going through the same sort of motions except for law enforcement no day is exactly the same and you're never dealing with the same people so if you think about how many people you interact with when you go to work every single day you can probably quantize that into probably the same group or for the majority unless you're in service when you're working side by side with people with our law enforcement they're serving the community so they actually are working with the entire community all day but one statistic that was mind-boggling to me was that the average person, American citizen, sees maybe two or three extremely traumatic events throughout their entire life. The number in a metropolis area, the number of traumatic PTS stress-causing events that a law enforcement officer will see over a 20-year period is roughly 700. So when we're talking about like trying to balance this scale or figure out these numbers or quantize what type of work these men and women are doing, that's the kind of work they're getting their hands into every day. And it's one of those things that I don't think a lot of people can wrap their heads around. So I'll say a few things on PTSD, and, and then I'll, I'll say a few things on what I believe can be done. So one of the first things is sobriety is one of those things that uh, oftentimes gets lost when dealing with high-stress situations. Law enforcement, specifically, oftentimes will turn to alcohol. And these opportunities to turn to alcohol become more and more frequent, or that sort of self-medication becomes more and more frequent throughout the career of the law enforcement officer. Inevitably, sometimes the reaction to using alcohol for healing or for using it to heal or help you through a tough time or PTSD is that you become dependent on it for that. And that's a different kind of dependency than being dependent on it for the alcoholic effect. And one of the things that happens is they realize that they find themselves backed into a corner by two things. They feel backed into a corner by their job and the commitment that they have to their communities, and they end up feeling like they're backed into the corner by what they have created with their substance abuse. And unfortunately, I believe that a sober hand rarely pulls the trigger when it comes to law enforcement suicide. The second thing I'll say is that oftentimes there are signs that go unnoticed, unrecognized, or unreported, and a lot of coworkers are the only people who know and therefore this becomes a huge problem for coworkers as survivors of this some of them will never tell the families that yeah tom came to me you know 3 weeks ago with this issue they'll never they'll never speak and so they are forced to carry that burden and that demon of pain and suffering gets passed along through law enforcement. And, again, this is why this epidemic seems to be growing more and more each time this this gets, this gets happens. Year after year, the number of law enforcement side deaths goes up more and more. And there's a huge amount of controversy about what type of honors they deserve. You know, is it PTSD-related? Was it non-PTSD-related? Was it job-related? There's, there's so much that goes behind that we could deep dive on. But the most important thing is that these guys need to be able to know that they can come clean and get the help that they need before feeling like they are backed into that corner to make the ultimate sacrifice and decision their own lives.
1: Dave, I'd love to do a deep dive. Unfortunately, we're, we're kind of running out of time. We've only got a couple of minutes left. I'd like to give Naomi a chance to share her thoughts. Naomi, what can we as the civilians in the community do And by the way, I want to ask this question real quick, yes or no answer. If one of the communities hearing this somewhere across the country where we're broadcasting likes what you're doing through your foundation, are you willing to talk to them and and help them sort of adapt it so they can get it going in their local community?
0: Absolutely. We're already consulting with many uh, police departments around the nation about especially our child care program.
1: Okay. What what sort of things can we as civilians do and, and think about, not just during police week, but every day of the year?
0: yeah it, it means a lot to an officer for a, a community member um when they come and say thank you for their service mm-hmm. um again we we've been talking about the the, the sacrifices but the, people don't know the sacrifices that officers go through when they are not in uniform all this PTSD all the stuff that gets dealt with at home before they even leave their home with their uniform on so, that's one of the things that we've tried to raise awareness with the foundation is the sacrifices, is, the, is that sick child that they left at home, is that the sick spouse that they left at home, or parents, and they put the uniform on and serve our community no matter what they have going on in their own personal lives, plus all the stuff that they find during their shift. Mm-hmm. So, is, is that thank you means a lot to an officer.
1: Dave, you're the true professional. We've got one minute left. I'll let you do the big wrap.
2: So, again, I think the big wrap here and the takeaway is support those men and women in blue and, and do what you can to show that support. Like Amy said, just being outspoken about your support means a lot to them. They can't speak their minds on social media. They need us. And, again, there's organizations. If you need help and you're out there, whether you're law enforcement or military, the warrior's journey is one. Resilient minds on the front lines. Look these guys up. If you need help, immediate help for you or a family member, you're recognizing the signs. You're seeing some of the signs we're talking about resilient minds on the front lines are the people you need to call, as well as the warrior's journey, and they can help you get through this bridge, this difficult time that you're in, and hopefully see you through to the other side. And again, I just want to say thanks again for having me on. Nohemia, our prayers are with you and your family eternally. I hope you don't understand that.
0: Thank
1: you, Dave. Ladies and gentlemen, you can hire Dave Bray to perform at one of your events. If you're thinking about one, wherever you are, visit DaveBrayUSA.com. If you'd like to contact Naomi, visit org. That's Eric with a K. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been your host, Ben Bura garcia As always, until next time, all policies and procedures remain in place. Take care. You've been listening to American Warrior Radio. Archived episodes may be found at AmericanWarriorRadio.com or your
0: favorite podcast platform.